You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality, and Christian Miller, a national championship winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian. Hey, welcome in to Big Noon Sports. On kind of a dreary, gray Wednesday afternoon, halfway through the week. Been an interesting week so far, certainly, with the national championship game. And uh, now we just kind of shift gears very smoothly as uh, we start talking about some college basketball. And certainly Auburn had a big game last night. Road win. Alabama and Arkansas will marquee the entire week, in my opinion, as far as a basketball game that will have everything you want. That uh, includes future NBA talent, best freshman in America, two great coaches, and I don't know if you've ever been there, and I have not seen it in the Bud Walton Arena, but it will be an atmosphere unlike any other. Cameron, maybe Rupp. Boy, Rupp was disrupted last night. Gamecocks win at Kentucky. Whoo! And South Carolina's bad. Where does it put Kentucky? Losing at home. Anyway, Lars Anderson, welcome into your own show. <laughs> Great to be here, as always. And um, really, the, the, the story of the day is in Buffalo, New York, and that is uh, DeMar Hamlin has been discharged from Buffalo General Medical Center um, just n- about nine days after spending two, time in two different hospitals in Cincinnati and in Buffalo. <clears throat> and this comes after he uh, suffered that uh, cardiac arrest during the first quarter of the Monday night football game in Cincinnati. And uh, the game was in- initially postponed, as we know, after Hammond collapsed on the field. And then it was canceled days later. Um, Hamlin was flown to Buffalo on Monday which to me was a very good sign that he was able to get out of the hospital in Cincinnati. And um, and he entered the hospital in, in stable condition, so he'd been upgraded from critical to stable. And the, the team at the hospital in Buffalo, they were tasked with, uh, quote, identifying any possible causes of the event, potentially treat any pathology that may be found, as well as plan for his recovery, discharge, and rehabilitation. And uh, I would assume, and this has not been put out there yet, that there is going to be rehabilitation involved, uh, no question about it. But um, just the fact that he has been discharged from the hospital after literally nearly dying on the field, Matt, is just remarkable nine days ago nine days ago nine days ago where we were that tuesday morning and we were talking about we were scared yeah we were yeah i mean Um, i i honestly i hate to say it i i didn't think he was going to make it based on the reports we were hearing well but as we now know the immediate attention the first responders the trainers gave him saved his life yeah, it was that assistant trainer for the Buffalo Bills who immediately recognized what was happening, and he performed CPR for nine minutes, and that kept the flow of blood going to his brain, which prevented a massive, uh, you know, uh, brain event. 
uh, that that really could have done uh, long term significant damage, if not if not take his life. It's incredible, and you know he he just was moved from Cincinnati to Buffalo. Yeah, and he wasn't even in the Buffalo hospital two full days, was he? No, and he has now been released. He is home. Uh, I saw an interesting story. Uh, a part of this is that, and I didn't know he had a seven year old brother, but his seven year old brother was able to see him for the first time because of COVID and, and visitation and all that kind of stuff. He was not able to, because of his age, not able to go to the hospital. Uh, but what a touching moment that was. Uh, and, man, all good as far as uh, DeMar Hamlin is concerned in the NFL. On the other side, the NFL, huge news out of Miami concerning Tua. Trouble Viola is not going to play in this weekend's game at Buffalo. Be very honest with you, didn't give a Miami team going to Buffalo in single-digit weather, although I think it may warm up a little bit this weekend, much of a chance anyway with Tua. But uh, I can't imagine them winning the game now. But but who knows? Um, once you make the playoffs, uh, sometimes the underdogs can win. But Tua not playing, and this is, again, a succession of his injuries, most notably uh, concussion and concussion protocol. Yeah, um, I, I think we can fairly say that two has had at minimum three concussions this year, and uh, this to me puts into doubt his uh, long-term future in the league and whether or not he should be playing, uh, whether or not he should ever be playing again. Um, and uh, so now they're going to be going with rookie Skylar Thompson out of uh, Kansas State. And, um, you know, it's uh, the offense has really struggled under uh, with Skylar Thompson at the helm. And uh, Teddy Bridgewater is the number. It was the number two quarterback, capable guy, former first round draft pick. Uh, but he dislocated his right pinky in week 17. And when you're right handed quarterback, if you're if your pinky's dislocated, it makes it very difficult to throw the ball. So I would not expect Bridgewater to be able to go. And if you're down to your basically your practice squad quarterback going into Buffalo, playing a very, very good Bills team, I, I don't even think the Dolphins believe they can win this game. Well, and I think their fans have some doubt too. And I think their coach just, does too. I don't know. I don't know if you saw the press conference, but. Uh, McDaniel, he was just absolutely dejected when he was relaying the news that Tua was not going to be able to go. And you know they tried to do everything possible to get Tua to the point that he could play. But, you know, safety has to trump everything else, especially when it comes to head injuries, especially when it comes to uh, concussions and and how concussions can lead to CTE and you know we we know of all that we've we've, we've discussed that at length on this show uh, I've written about it at length uh, I did a book with Jonathan Hernandez who's Aaron Hernandez's brother and and Aaron Hernandez uh, whatever you might think of him his brain was analyzed by Dr. Ann McKee up at Boston University. And she said that if she would have been able to testify at trial, given the information that she gleaned from analyzing his brain, that she would have said that he did not know right from wrong. I mean, that is how much the CTE had just taken over his brain. And uh, and so I think it's it's the right call. 
But but Matt, I mean, do you, do you think we'll ever see Tua play? I I know you can't even pro, you can't project or predict this, but do you think we'll ever see him play again in the NFL? I don't know. Three in one year is just very troubling. Uh, I know he wants to. I know fans want him to. But um, you you got to take the view from far away. Yeah. And his immediate health and his future and his life in future. And, and uh, I think he will. I think he's just that kind of guy. Um, we do know a lot more about this issue medically, but not nearly enough. I um, mean, I've had personal friends die of this, and it's um, it, we are tip of the iceberg as far as CTE and what it causes, and um, it, it 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 makes you think to a makes you want to say, hey, don't play anymore. It Go does. take care of your family. Yeah, um, he's got enough money. I think we bring Christian in because the drive to play, Christian. Uh, and, and, and you, you really—I'll have to say—I think you have to have played at a certain level to understand. And Christian has, yes. But you—you just—it's almost is in eight, personal right? friends with Tua. So, yes, Christian, please give us your perspective on this. On uh, what? Sorry, if he should play uh, on Tua, yeah, it's, it's, it's on Tua being ruled out of the game and uh, uh, of the playoff game against Buffalo this weekend. And uh, the fact that he's had at minimum three concussions this year, and and also the, the concussions all came about on similar plays where he just the back of his head got uh, you know slammed to the turf, and in some of the cases it looked just like a normal tackle uh, in which he was concussed. Um, do you? I, I would just like to get your thoughts on if you think, and I I, I know that it's it, it's difficult for you because you are close with Tua. He's a friend, um, but do you think we'll see Tua play again in the NFL? Um, you know, I always, um, as a player, have always just followed the guidance of uh, the medical staff and personnel, and obviously, if they're um, um, <clears throat> telling him not to play and they're holding him out, then then he needs to trust um, their expertise. You know, they get paid a lot of money to make those decisions. So ultimately, they want to see what's best for him and his health, uh, not for him to go out there and um, play a football game. Because quite frankly, you know, at the end of the day, football is just a sport, and uh, his life and longevity after the game is much more important than you know him throwing a football around on a football field. Um, so uh, I'll be honest. I mean, when it comes to this stuff, yeah, it's one of those things where. Um, I, I care more about the person, the player. You know, I honestly could care less if he plays another down. I know he wants to, but uh, if, as, as long as you know he's a healthy individual and gets to um, live a long, healthy life. I mean, we're talking about a guy that you know was recently married, um, very strong uh, bonds with his family. Um, I got to know his family personally during his time here, and uh, they're such a close knit family, and they they they're. they're um, just so so special, um, and they, they they really care for one another. So I, I think that's the most important thing. So um, you know, whatever the the doctors are telling him, I think he needs to just follow that guidance. I, I don't, I'm not too sure uh, in terms of long term um, plans that they might have. I do know three concussions in um, the span of one season is by far uh, probably the most I've ever um, witnessed, um, and they're definitely not anything to play about. I know people that have experienced concussions and, and have suffered long term. Um, impacts from them, so it's not something to, to um, you know take lightly. So I, I think whatever he needs to do for his health and longevity um, in the in the long term, I think is most important right now. And I think everybody will follow uh, accordingly. Uh, I, I certainly hope so. But man, he's fun to watch play. 
Yeah. Uh, and I don't, I don't mean this too candidly, but, boy, you kind of wish you'd gotten Buffalo in the nine before. I wonder what the line's going to go to now. I hope that didn't sound brutal. Yeah, but. and, you know, I believe this year he set a record for uh, highest um, uh, uh, QB rating in, in league history for one season. I mean, just he had a great year. And and for the, the those people who wondered, is Tua the long-term answer on the field? He showed that he was uh, until the concussion issues popped up. And the team, and, and frankly, the Dolphins are a completely different team without Tua. And and one final thing, Christian mentioned his family, and uh, just I know when they were here at Alabama, his father plays a huge role in his yeah. life, and uh, and and they're going to do everything in their power to protect their son. You're listening to Big Noon Sports with Christian Miller, Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter. When we come back, we'll be talking to one of my all-time favorite people, coaches, uh, NASCAR fans, you name it. Sonny Smith will join us, talk about Auburn's win on the road at Ole Miss and and really to just kind of look at the entire picture of Southeastern Conference basketball with Kentucky on the bottom and Alabama and Tennessee at the top. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Don't buy your boat at the Birmingham Boat Show. Get your best deal on the boat you're looking for at Pier 43. Dick Harry, Starcraft, and Bennington pontoon boats. See our cloudy with the low at 59. Tomorrow, an active weather day, cloudy and windy at times. Showers and strong storms arriving during the day, the high 69. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 63 degrees in Tuscaloosa. It was in my mind that if it happened, um, and so we did, and we were very common in the timeout. We talked about what we weren't doing. Bottom line is they were driving to the basket. It's like, look, how can we be talking about gaps, help, help the helper, sink, and they're driving right around us, left around us, and they're getting around. How, how is that possible? It's not. So you guys better get in the paint and make them kick it out. And we started to do a better job of building a wall and not letting it, let, not letting him drive around us. Mark Murphy, yeah, Bush, can you talk about how important it is to get Wendell to the foul line like you did tonight? He had 11-11, and then the team made eighteen and twenty-two. Well, you know, Matthew Morrell, you know, was eight for eight, and uh, Wendell was eleven for eleven, and you know that's pretty good free throw shooting by two great guards. Um, and they were the two best guards on the floor. And I think officials recognize that. I think I think certainly tonight, officials are recognizing that, you know, Wendell Green's a, a pretty dynamic player. Um, and so when he was getting bounced and getting fouled, he you know, he he, he was getting getting the whistle. And he got that's Bruce Pearl last night in Oxford, Mississippi, following the 82-73 win over the Rebels. Any win on the road in this conference is a huge win. Alabama got one there a week or ten days ago. Auburn got one. Now, Alabama has a huge game tonight at Arkansas, and we'll go into detail of that uh, when we get in touch with Sonny Smith. But uh, just to address Auburn and specifically what Pearl was talking about, 
You know, it's interesting to watch coaches in basketball now, and we've been dealing with media timeouts, the under-16, under-12, under-8, under-4, for more than a decade. But it's interesting to see how they will wait on those as opposed to using a timeout. And in that particular situation, Pearl, even with the, I think it was the under-12, maybe coming up, he went ahead and called a timeout anyway because his son Stephen had urged him to because Ole Miss had gotten four straight dunks or layups, four out of five possessions. And so he used the timeout early. And we'll bring in Sonny Smith. He is the uh, longtime coach at Auburn, uh, former host of the Sonny and Wimp Show, which was a blast to work with him. And, of course, he's now part of the Auburn Network, too, broadcasting basketball. Uh, Sonny, first of all, how are you? Uh, Happy New Year, late Merry Christmas, all good in your life? Uh, everything's good. Everything's good. I'm glad to be on the show with you, Matt. It's been a long time. It has. Uh, but I want to ask you about that timeout and what goes through a coach's mind. And it's there's this want to save those timeouts and use the media breaks. Obviously, Bruce Pearl made a great decision to go ahead and burn one of his personal timeouts. Matt, when a team gets on a roll, gets that momentum going for them, uh, you got only one way to stop it, and that's with a timeout. And uh, I don't think you can wait on a timeout in those situations. Now, some people will, uh, some people will wait on that timeout, and that momentum roll that they're on will increase. And I think he's wanting to stop that uh, roll that they were on, and he couldn't wait any longer. And I, I think that was a very, very smart timeout myself. Sonny. Uh... Auburn, and this doesn't pertain to last night, but they are on an incredible home winning streak. I think it's 27 games now in a row that they've won at home. And uh, my my gut tells me that their arena, uh, uh, which, uh, you know, it it only seats, uh, and I say only, but about 9,100, I think that's going to be the template going forward uh, for other college basketball venues. But can you just tell me, explain to our listeners why Auburn is so good at home and what is it about that arena that makes it so difficult for visitors to come in there and beat the Auburn Tigers? Students are at midcourt, midcourt each way. And uh, they can be much louder than they can. Or in a lot of courts, they're three quarter court or or in the end zone. So they they fill up one side, and and they've got their loudest people at the middle. And also, the courts are extremely close to uh, the crowds are extremely close to the crowd. And I think it's one of the loudest, with the crowd being the closest of of any arena that we play in. And, I think that's what accelerates the uh, roles that you get on. I think they they keep you they keep you alert and alive. And I I think it's uh, I think it's arena that was built for winning. But courts it's it's closed in, extremely tight. Students are mid court. Uh, you can't get a better feeling for a game game type situation. You can't what they got right there. Sonny Auburn will take on Mississippi State this weekend on Saturday. Could you just preview that matchup if you've gotten to watch Mississippi State a little bit this year? Well, Mississippi State's a good basketball team. Big, strong, physically physically talented basketball team. Uh, I don't think they uh, 
I don't think their depth is as good as Auburn. I think it's going to be a very physical game, and and that tilts everything Auburn's way, being at home and uh, and having a zip that they do. But they they're physical, they're tall, they shoot the uh, two guys uh, shoot the ball extremely well from the outside. So you got your hands full in this Mississippi State team, well coached team too, by the way. Coach, let's look around the SEC. Last night, Kentucky uh, lost at home in Rupp uh, to a sorry, not not a it's not a great uh, South Carolina team, but kind of take an no. overview, uh, starting with Kentucky, and look around the Southeastern conferences. We're just about four games in. I think that uh, Kentucky's in a situation that they've never been in. They don't know how to handle it. You know, I mean, you think about this. John has never been in a situation like this where his team going into the game uh, and the crowd and everything involved, he wouldn't absolutely be the favorite. And I think he goes into games now where the other team might be the favorite. I don't think they, I don't think they adjust to that. You know, you used to think you can't win. There's two reasons you can't win in Kentucky. It's because of the crowd and the officials. Uh, the official thing has been out for years. It's not there anymore. Uh, and that, that doesn't win a game for Kentucky anymore. Uh, and the, the crowds are still there, but the crowds are now becoming a little bit negative at Kentucky. They all been verbally negative, but once they threw the ball up, uh, they were good for their team. They, 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 they kept them going. They, they were extremely loud and all into the game. And I think they may be still that way at the game. I don't know that much, but I don't think you got the same attitude and the same uh, the same idea that we're going to win every game that the players generally have and go to Kentucky to play. Sonny, if you have one player to start your program and build your program around, and you have two choices, you got Jabari Smith, who oh, last no. year was the number three <laughs> overall pick. And you got Brandon Miller, who right now is uh, just playing lights out for Alabama and uh, potentially the number one overall pick in the NBA draft. Who are you taking? Naturally, being around Jabari so long, I would take him. But I'll have to say this. Miller's about as good as I've seen in the league in many years. Uh, he's, he, he's, he's unstoppable at times. And and he fits their system fits him perfectly, or they fit the system to him. I don't know what you would say would be the correct answer, but that system fits him and fits the way that he plays. Well, Jabari's situation was not all that because you had a big postman that you had to deal with. Uh, you had scoring on the wings that also that Jabari had to deal with. You know, the ball had to be uh, the ball had to be shared a little bit more. I think with uh, with Jabari on, in the team he played on last year, then I think maybe that the ball does not have to be shared quite as well at Alabama as for Miller, uh, if that makes any sense. Uh, I, I, th- I think you couldn't just come down the court and go to uh, Jabari Smith because you had so many other players, good players, and you had a great postman inside that had to touch the ball. And it... Uh, there's a lot of similarities in the two and in, in, in the fact that they both can score in and out. And I don't know how well, I don't know how well Miller puts it on the floor, but Jabari could really put it on the floor like a guard. I think that might measure who might be the better player. I haven't watched him enough to know. He probably does put it on the floor very well. Y'all can tell me that. 
Uh, he's got every skill set he needs, um, just like Jabari did. That's basically what uh, everybody says, and I, I agree. Yeah. Um, Sonny, how good is Tennessee? Well, you start with the defense first. They're either first, second, or third best defensive team in the league. You also start with the physicality. Uh, ball goes to board, they're going to knock you and beat on you, and they're going to come out pretty much a winner on a lot of those. They're a very physical team. They're a very good defensive ball club. Uh, on the night that they shoot the ball, as good as anybody in the league. And I think that's uh, kind of the way, you know, somebody asked me, how about Auburn? How good is Auburn? When Auburn shoots the ball, they're a terrific basketball team. And I would put uh, Tennessee in that same category. When they shoot the ball, they got the rest of the ingredients. It means that you have to have to be really good. Sonny, before we let you go, Alabama plays at Arkansas and Lars ask you about how difficult it is to play in Neville Arena. How difficult is it for a visiting team to go to Fayetteville, Arkansas? Oh, it's un- it's, it's one of the very best. It's one of the, the, their people gets into the game uh, and they really get after the, the other team. Uh, they, the, the team plays so much better there. It's one of the better. The only difference I think in, in Arkansas and Auburn, for instance, Auburn's crowds are so much closer to the court than they are at Arkansas, but boy, you, you you can match them up evenly on everything else, so they really get after it. That's a, that's a tough place to play, extremely tough. And their style of play creates excitement. Uh, if you go, every once in a while you say, well, they got a great crowd, but the team's got to get them into the game. Well, the team don't, team's got them into the game and they throw it up at Arkansas because they really get after that style of play the fans do. They, the the fans fit the team, and the team fits the fans, and it's uh, it's an extremely tough place to play. It is, and they get the game, too, and the ebb and flow of it, and that's why they contribute to wins there at oh, Bud no Arena. Sonny, uh, my best to your family and all that, our best to your family, and uh, here's to a great new year, and we'll, we'll check up with you in a couple of weeks, talk some more basketball. Oh, my pleasure to be on your show. Thanks for having me, fellas. Matt, good to hear your voice, then. You, too. As always. Thank you, Sonny. Um, one of my favorites, one of the funniest people you'll ever be around. Big story that uh, I think popped up this morning, and that's the coaches' polls as we shift gears back to football, is to talk about where Nick Saban ranked teams in the final coaches' poll of the year. I don't think I was really very surprised. and matter of fact, I think he was correct. We'll go into detail on the other side of this break as you listen to Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Straight Talk Wireless knows there are plenty of reasons you might need a new phone. But switching to a better wireless provider doesn't have to be one of them. Keep your own phone and save when you... Nick Saban says yes, and of course he joins us now. You make the argument, sir. Why do your tide belong in the playoff? I think the whole goal is to get the best teams in the playoff, and if there's any teams that are getting in the playoff that we had to play, 
uh, would we be the underdog uh, or would we be the favorite? And if we would be the favorite, that means we're the better team. Our team finished the season really strong. I think we lost two games in the middle of the season when we weren't 100%. Our quarterback wasn't 100% healthy on the road. Nick Saban stating his case for uh, getting into the playoffs, and he states it again as uh, USA Today has found the ballots for every single coach that has one. In the college football poll, and Nick Saban has, and I'll give you his top few in a couple of more, is Georgia, Alabama, TCU, Michigan, Ohio State. Uh, I hate to just crush them, but how can you even put TCU in the top five? How in God's green are they number two? I don't know. <laughs> they well, they are number two, well, by virtue of the college football playoff. I know, now, but, but come on. Are you supposed to vote? According to the way it ended up on the college, just because they were, they played number one as number three, they actually moved up. You know, at <laughs> least you, you put Ohio it. State in front of TCU. Ohio State should have beaten Georgia. Ohio State had Georgia on the ropes. Yep. Uh, and uh, if not for a few freakish things, and if the if their kicker can make a what, what was it at the at the buzzer there a fifty yarder or so. Um, Ohio State wins the national championship because let's face it, the de facto national championship game was Georgia Ohio State. I agree, and um, and but gosh, I mean, tech, <laughs> the Horn Frogs suffered not just the worst defeat in playoff history or in championship history, but in bowl history. And you're telling me they're the second best team in the country? Look. Okay, market twelve thirty seven. Nebraska fans are asking: Could Nebraska have beaten TCU on, on Monday night? night? I'm not so sure that there weren't uh, half the teams at play. <laughs> um, they were just starstruck, couldn't get it together, and Georgia was just far superior to the team. If Christian Miller had a vote, uh, throw your top five at us. Uh, I'm gonna go Georgia. Uh, probably say Ohio State. Uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe Michigan, Alabama, then TCU. I, I don't know. I, I, I'll leave it to That's the exactly what I would do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's exactly how I would vote. I, I've never had a vote, um, never wanted a vote. But, uh, I mean, it, it, it's so hard for, uh, I know this is, we're talking about the coaches poll, but for writers to actually uh, make informed decisions when they're voting, it's very difficult because the majority of the writers are covering a team, and uh, it's 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 you just it's almost impossible to get all the information you need to make a real uh, like I said informed decision with all the information you need because of time constraints. It's a lot easier now, not that it's easy, but it's a lot easier than it used to be. And also, I mean, used to be, when you didn't have television, I mean, the, the number of games and the streams and the information that you can get online about a game that finished in Oregon at 11.30, your time, you can get the stats and look at it. Back in the day, good grief. How did the, how did the guy from Atlanta, how did Furman Bisher figure out where USC was? And also, was it Nick Saban who actually filled this ballot out, or was it our friend Josh Maxson, who we love and we need the access, we need our credentials? Uh, Josh Maxson, you're the best. 
But was it Joss Maxson who filled this out? I would say if he did, it was with Saban's approval. Yeah. Because I don't think he's going to put that up there. But um, there's every reason in the world for you to put your own team number two. I mean, if you put him number one, obviously you're going to look really kind of dumb. But you put him number two, I mean, it's for recruiting. It's for your own self-satisfaction. It's for your team. It's patting them on the back. Uh, there are a lot of reasons why I did. So let, let's just go on to look at uh, – let me scroll down, scroll through here. Kirby Smart obviously had Georgia number one. You want to take a guess where he – who was number two? And this is a guy that just played him. Ohio State. Now, he had TCU. That, well, oh. and that would have been a good guess, too, because he did <laughs> just play him. But he had TCU number two, Michigan, Ohio State – and then he had Tennessee in front of Alabama. Well, Tennessee beat Alabama. Well, look, if Kirby puts TCU number two, it just makes Georgia look all the better. Uh, I get it. I get Yeah, you know. I guess we really didn't think about it that much. But uh, anyway. Hey, um, and on down the line, and this is not necessarily Saban's, or it's also the Associated Press, I think a big shout-out to the Green Wave and the Trojans are necessary here. In the Associated Press, Tulane finished ninth. Yeah, I'm talking about the Green Wave, New Orleans, funny colored uniforms, um, and then to Troy. What a remarkable year! They finished 19th, first time they've ever finished in the top 25. Um, since uh, I dropped a few dimes on Troy, my daughter was uh, got a degree in journalism from there. Um, I'm always pulling for Troy. Um, other things going on in the world of college football, your man, Spencer Rattler, coming back. Do we have any audio? I I thought we did, but anyway, yeah, Spencer Rattler coming back, and now suddenly with their top wide receiver coming back and Spencer Rattler coming back, I think you can make the argument that Spencer Rattler is going to be uh, preseason player of the year. And uh, this was from Shane Beamer's Twitter feed this morning. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving! The show goes on! This is my home! Hold up, wait a minute. Y'all thought I was finished? Hold up, wait a minute. Y'all thought I was finished? Rattler rolling to his right. Into the hands of Jalen Brooks. Stiff on that time. No slide. No doubt for your shot. It's time. Judge Van Touchdown. Yeah, so uh, that was the Wolf of Wall Street uh, when uh, Leo DiCaprio's character says he's not leaving uh, Wall Street as uh, as the SEC Securities Commission is coming after him. But uh, it was just a, a funny thing. And, and it shows you that Shane Beamer is uh, very social media savvy. And but But the larger point here is that Spencer Rattler... Uh, he absolutely resuscitated his career. I think a lot of us, myself included, thought that he was going to go pro. Uh, may not have been a first-round pick, but I think he would have gone at least in the second round or maybe late first. Uh, but now that he is coming back, and I say, as I mentioned, their top wide receiver is coming back, I think South Carolina 
is a threat to Georgia. I really do because uh, I think Spencer Rattler will be preseason uh, SEC Player of the Year. I gotta, I gotta soak that in for a little bit. That just doesn't sound right to me. I, I may have to just look at some other teams' roster, but Spencer Rattler is your pick to be the SEC. Well, a preseason. You think, you think he'll be the preseason favorite? Who? who what other? Well, that's so what I'm let's to just say, about. let's just assume it's going to be a quarterback. What quarterback? Coming back to the SEC, in any SEC team is better than Spencer Rattler. And this is a guy, remember uh, two years ago, you and I both thought he was going to win the Heisman yeah. Trophy at Oklahoma. And he finally started playing like that guy we thought he was going to be this last year. And he got better and better and better as the season went on. And, uh, I mean, Shane Beamer has that program moving in the right direction. And uh, the the fact that he was able to convince Spencer to come back for one final year, uh, I think, speaks volumes to the relationship that uh, Shane has with Spencer that goes all the way back to their time at Oklahoma. And to me, it makes South Carolina one of the more exciting teams, one of the more compelling stories heading into the 2023 season. Now, now, Christian, am, am I overstating the importance of Spencer Rattler coming back? No, I think it definitely, you know, adds a lot of value to that program and makes him a lot more dangerous. Um, and I can see why you would say that there'd be a lot of t- a lot of attention on him um, when you look on paper. All the guys that are leaving the SEC uh, right now, he does kind of um, have the most notoriety coming back, but. If it wasn't going to a quarterback, I would put my money on a guy like Brock Bowers because, I mean, the guy clearly is, you know, yeah. he appears to be unstoppable. Now, I know a tight end probably won't get that award, but um, he definitely deserves a lot of credit. Good point. Meanwhile, another flip for Auburn, and it has another coach flipping out. That's coming up next on Big Noon Sports. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Want to know what's going on with the Crimson Tide? Download the Tide 100.9 app today. Wesley Financial Group is not a law firm. This story is called The Ugly Truth About Timeshare. If you think you've done your family a favor by buying a timeshare, you need my help. Hello, I'm Bounty with the low at 59. Tomorrow, an active weather day, cloudy and windy at times. Showers and strong storms arriving during the day, the high 69. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 64 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big News Sports, Christian Miller, Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter. Auburn has flipped yet another player from the transfer portal. In this case, it is offensive lineman Avery Jones. He, uh, I think, originally signed with North Carolina, and he played maybe at East Carolina. But he is very valued offensive lineman. And he was uh, going to go play in Illinois, Brett Bielema. But uh, he has suddenly flipped. It is the eighth new scholarship lineman. Uh, on the Auburn roster, I mean Hugh Freeze is doing it. Um, Christian, is is Auburn uh, is Auburn on your radar for next year, even that quickly? I guess not. <laughs> 
Well, let me say this. Uh, Hugh Freeze has picked up 10 transfers out of the portal. And now this is the third offensive lineman for new position coach Jake Thornton that he's got. And Avery Jones, he's a former four-star recruit, as you mentioned, from North Carolina. He started the past three seasons at East Carolina, which makes him one of the most experienced offensive linemen uh, in the portal. And what I think the bigger picture here, Matt, is that the offensive line has been the Achilles heel for Auburn going all the way back to the Gus Malzahn era. And I don't think it is going to be a big issue anymore under Hugh Freeze because he clearly is prioritizing it. And uh, the, the, the fact that he is aggressively going after experienced players in the portal uh, shows me that uh, he understands that this really has been the weakness of the entire team. And so uh, Hugh Freeze... You know, uh, look, we, we spent a lot of oxygen talking about whether or not he was the right coach or not. But as of right now, you, you, Christian, you have to be really impressed with what he has been able to do both on the recruiting trail and in the transfer portal in a very short time. Yeah, you know, and the, one of the most critical things about a team is, is its players and uh, that's what he's he's done he's done a really good job of going out and finding guys um, on, a, on a short notice um, he's like you mentioned you know, hit the recruiting trail he's really active in the portal and uh, he looks to me like he's brought in a lot of offensive linemen um, so it says to me that he's looking to improve up front um, which I'm a big proponent of, of, of you know playing in the trenches and dominating the line of scrimmage so it seems that he feels the same way and that's uh, the trajectory that he's trying to go with his team and so I, I think they will um definitely be someone to look out for now obviously you know they're going to go through growing uh, growing pains that that's natural for a new coach in a, in a big program but i definitely think that he uh, is is going to do a, a good job at auburn and uh they're definitely going to be a team to to watch out for moving forward you know brett bielema is you know a little you know, aggravated by the fact that somebody got some another player out of i guess his transfer portal but you know his commitment but is it any different than recruiting, is it? I mean, a guy may commit to your program until he actually signs something. I mean, does he have a, a really uh, – because he, here, here's my point on somebody like Brett Bielema. He may complain about it, but he'd do it too. Of course. Am I right? Yeah, yeah I was, was going to mention. I mean, you but, look at the guys at Colorado. I mean, Deion Sanders got there, and then he voided um, half of those commits. So, I mean, unfortunately, a, a verbal – uh, commit both ways um, is is all it is. is it's just verbal, Good point. and um, um, coaches can can back out of it as well. So it's one of those things where until somebody's name is on a dotted line, just like any other business deal, um, it's just if it's not in writing, then it's not official. So I know I know Brett is upset, but you know it's part of the game, and unfortunately that's how it is. Especially now with NIL stuff, I, I would not be surprised if. Um, you know, they flashed a little bit of cash um, in order to get that done. But uh, oh, yeah. Absolutely. That was the point I was going to make next. Where do you think Avery Jones is going to make more money? On the Plains or in Champaign, Illinois? Auburn. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and and it's a, again, I think it's a dangerous, I mean, it's a slippery slope when it, when it comes down to just a bidding more and that, to uh, me uh, you know not knowing that, all of the inside information that's what it looks like every big time player is a bidding war now 100%. by the way um top 4 
teams as far as signing, acquiring players in the transfer portal. CM just meant number one. Colorado's top dog, Big T's number one. Florida State is second. LSU is third. Auburn's fourth with ten. Yeah, and it's really interesting where all the Auburn guys are coming from. You got uh, just from uh, um, uh, you have Jones coming in. You got a uh, running back from USF, a wide receiver from Cincinnati, a D tackle from Purdue, a linebacker from LSU, a D tackle from Maryland, a offensive tackle from Western Kentucky, another offensive tackle from Tulsa, uh, a player from Vandy, and a player from FIU. They're going all over the country, man. They are on, They are searching, and they are paying. I have a mathematics question. When you get 10 out of the transfer portal, how do you fit those scholarships in with your recruiting class and all? Yeah, we got to Show go some people the door. <laughs> I hate that part of it. Street Talk Wireless knows there are plenty of reasons you might need a new phone. But switching to a better wireless provider doesn't have to be one of them. Keep your own phone and save when you switch. Welcome back to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller. I know there's some financial hurdles there, but how important is that to you? I mean, it's, it's a big deal. You know, you look at some of the places we go, and they've got a real nice arena, and you know, ours is a little behind. But like I've said in the past, it, it really affects the fans a lot more than it affects us. Like the floor we play on, just as good as any floor in the SEC. I mean, they're all pretty similar. Our our situation with our practice gym, our locker room, all that stuff. It's all top notch. We're, we're great there. So it's not like that's hurting us in recruiting or ability to win games. But I do think just for the program, the university athletic department, it's a, it's a big deal to, you know, have a, a great arena for fans. There you have it. Uh, Alabama, I think eventually will be in a new home in, in Tuscaloosa to play some hoops. That's Nate Oates. Um, they are in Fayetteville right now in Arkansas as they prepare to take on the ranked Hogs. And I think they're 19th. What were they, 13th, 14th? Um, anyway, that's the biggest contest on the board tonight. And we'll be talking with um, AL.com's uh, Mike Rodak about that in just a moment. So uh, we'll stand by for that as you listen to Big Noon Sports with Matt and Lars and Christian Miller. Um, Christian, uh, you're pretty familiar now. You've gone to a few games. And, well, now I see that we uh, we have Mike Rodak on. So I'll bring him on and get him to talk some Alabama hoops and we will all chime in. Mike, it's Matt. Happy New Year. How are you? Good, good. How are you? Happy New Year. Um, it's been good. It's been good so far. Um, you wrote uh, about uh, Alabama basketball uh, on AL.com, particularly about Brandon Miller. Just give some overall thoughts. And is that guy, how good is he compared to some of the guys you've seen in Crimson or just in college basketball in general the last couple of years? Yeah, definitely the best guy that I've seen. I've only covered. Alabama for four seasons now, but you know he's he's the best. I mean, Herb Jones was an excellent defensive player. Uh, you know, really became I think a better all around player towards the end of his career. But yeah, as a freshman, for what Brandon Miller is able to do offensively is is better than anything I've seen. And you know, there's a reason why he's 
going to be a, a lottery pick and potentially a top 10, top five sort of player this summer is uh, because he can do it all in terms of scoring and uh, plays good enough on defense and is long, as is athletic, um, kind of has it all. And, you know, we knew that going in. That's that's not too much of a surprise. I think there's always that learning curve, and you're never, never quite sure if a guy's going to translate into, you know, being a good college player. But I think we had a pretty good idea going into the season that, that he was going to be the guy. I think it's really the entire freshman class, though, where um, all – you know, the top three guys with Clowney and, and Bradley, but also Riley Griffin, that whole class doing as well as, as they've been doing, I think is, is more of a surprise. Mike, can you give us a uh, just a breakdown of tonight's game, number four, Alabama, versus number 15, Arkansas? Yeah, you know, Arkansas is a team that came in number two in the SEC, was, was their preseason ranking for the media. A team that's, quite frankly, probably gone a little bit deeper uh, since Musselman's been there. Eric Musselman's been the coach as long as Nate Oates has been the coach at Alabama, and they've gone a little bit deeper in the tournament. They've they've sort of been the better team, um, and I think people kind of saw that, and you know they thought going into this year that Arkansas would be the better team, and uh, they had the number one recruit in the country, Nick Smith. Uh, they had some other returning pieces as well, and there's there was a lot of high hopes for them. I don't know if they've quite met them uh, because of some injuries. Smith has, has gone down with a knee injury, and he's out for the rest of the month. Uh, Trayvon Brazil's been out. So they're down a, a couple guys, and uh, you know they just lost to Auburn. So they're a team that is probably not playing up to the expectation they had going in for them, but they're still number 15 in the country. I think it's still a very dangerous team and a team that is going to be playing at home um, in, a, in an environment that Nate Oates has called one of the toughest in the SEC in a, a place where they, the last time they played here two years ago, they lost. So um, it's it's probably... I'd say next to Houston, going to Houston, probably their toughest game of the season so far. And it, it could be one or two or three toughest games when, when all is said and done. Who would you say right now is the biggest competitor for Alabama basketball in the SEC? Um, you got teams like Tennessee and A&M who, who look pretty good. If you had to pick one, which which would you say? Probably Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee's consistently been a top-10 team this year. Um, Alabama goes up there uh, two or three weeks. I think it's the, the first week in February. So, it, you know, there's going to be a little bit of time here for both teams to kind of continue to for things to play out and see where they are at that point. But that that could be a huge game for them in terms of uh, potentially having to break a tie at the end of the year for, you know, conference regular season champion or seeding in the SEC tournament. That's, that's probably going to be I, – I would be surprised if Alabama and Tennessee aren't two of the top – three teams in the conference by the end of the season. So uh, that's their best competition. That's a team that you know consistently is a top 25 team, and they have been under Rick Barnes. So um, that's really the you know the biggest obstacle, I'd say, beyond Arkansas and you know maybe Auburn, if they can kind of keep playing better and hold it together. You know, they're probably up there as well. Our guest from AL.com is Mike Rodak. Mike, is anything about this basket? We all knew coming in how good Miller could be. I think he's been better than many anticipated, myself included. Uh, but I also like Clowney and, and some of the other new guys. You mix those in with the veterans. Um, what is better about this Alabama basketball team than even you expected going into this season? Yeah, you know, the defense is certainly better than what it was last year and probably better than what I expected. I mean, they they had to make a big jump, and they, and they have. They probably made a bigger jump where they're now in the top 
10 or 15 um, in, in Ken Palm's defensive efficiency ranking, which is the one that Oaks always is talking about. and You can tell that he's looking at every single day. And, um, you know, that, it's not easy to do. It's, it's partly a, a problem of you had to get players who I think were better defenders and were a little bit longer. That was one of their issues last year was they had some short guards uh, between, you know, Jaden Shackelford and Quinterly in there, just not as big as some of the players are going up against. You get a longer guy like Miller. You have Clowney in the lineup at 6'9". Um, you know, Burnett, when he was healthy, is, is a longer guard. So um, that helps. But also you have to get guys to play harder. And I think they've just gotten more buy-in. Uh, they've gotten more accountability among players this year. Um, so I think that's that's sort of the reason why they're playing better on, on defense. And that's that's really the biggest difference from last year. I mean, they were a good offensive team last year. They're a better shooting team this year. Um, you know, the offensive efficiency numbers is, is relatively similar to last year. But it's really the defense, which has made the biggest improvement. Mike, I'm I'm going back to a story that you wrote in uh, mid December, and that the the headline was "What's the latest on Alabama's proposed new basketball arena?" Can you just give us an update of what is the latest? Uh, and and for uh, those listeners uh, who don't know where it's going to be located or uh, the number of seats, and and uh, is there a uh, a model that they're going to be following when they? Uh, I'm not even sure, frankly, if they've broken ground yet. But can you just give us an update on uh, Alabama's new proposed basketball arena? Yeah, I think stalled is probably the, the best word to describe the process from everything that you know people have said, um, namely Greg Byrne and, and Stuart Bell, who I you know ultimately people I think get on Byrne for the project not advancing from where it is, but he still has to report to Stuart Bell, and, and Stuart Bell still has a duty financially for the entire university uh, to keep things in check. So I don't know if it's entirely Greg Byrne that has kept it stalled. But, yes, it's a project that was approved by the Board of Trustees almost a year ago now. It was last February. Um, I forget the exact dollar figure, but really the biggest problem has been that dollar figure for construction has gone up because of overall inflation in the country and in the construction. I think it was $183 million. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I, you wrote $183 million. No, thanks for reminding me. It's it's and that's I would assume that that number from what they've probably been told by their construction people is, is probably well over two hundred now, uh, just simply because of how prices have risen in the in the last year. And that's just that's not an Alabama problem. That's you know a countrywide problem. So um, that has really caused some issues with uh, you know financing the project. And you know they've always I think had they've always kind of been up against it a little bit in terms of trying to get the money for it because. You know, the donor money, by and large, is still going to go to football. Uh, that's still the biggest draw. So getting the basketball money to come in, I, I think, has been a challenge. And Burns talked about that. He needs the church choir to, to give amens. And it seemed like they got there. But now with the inflation, um, everything Byrne and, and Bell have said, it just it doesn't make sense for them to move forward at that number. It seems like they're going to wait for prices to go back down, which, you know, it seems like we're closer to that point, but um, it's something obviously fans want. You know, Nate Oates this week was kind of giving some wink nod sort of statements about it. He goes on different radio show. And he was talking to us during the week, and I think he wants to see it. You know, it's part of his program, if you will, and people getting excited about it and coming to games, and that's all things that he cares about. And ultimately, Alabama, you know, needs to worry about keeping Nate Oates too. So 
there's a lot that goes into it. Um, in terms of the location, it seems like it would be near where the softball field is. There's a big empty lot. Um, I don't think that's decided officially, but that's probably where it would be. And um, I think Ole Miss, you know, the Ole Miss arena that they built a few years ago is really uh, the model for it to answer that question. Mike, I want to switch gears real quick to football. Um, there's a lot of speculation about these coordinators. Um, haven't really heard much um, in, in recent uh, recent days uh, regarding those two. Any updates on your end or anything you're hearing uh, regarding the future of Bill O'Brien or Pete Golden? It's certainly been quiet, um, which I think tells the story on both for different reasons. And, you know, I think with Golding, he's still under contract. I in, in both cases, I don't think Nick Saban's opinion of, of his coordinators is the same as the fans' public opinion. I think Nick Saban thinks more highly of the job his coordinators have sure. done than a lot of fans do. So I think barring some sort of opportunity that I, presents itself for Pete, he's probably going to be back in the same role next year. That's the sense I get. I mean, maybe they bring in somebody else and have a, a co-defensive coordinator situation. I haven't heard anything specific to that, but I'd say the odds are still favoring Pete being back, and I haven't heard anything to the contrary yet. With O'Brien, you know, different situation because his contract's up and they would need to re-sign him to bring him back. And I think his situation is more just waiting on these NFL opportunities to kind of come together. And I think obviously the New England one is kind of the one everybody speculated about, but even today there's been reporting up in New England that there hasn't been any contact. Uh, between them and O'Brien, and it doesn't seem like right now that there's going to be an offensive coordinator change in New England. Um, their their staff actually just got invited or accepted an invitation to the Shrine Bowl, which requires you to not have any coordinator changes. So unless something happens late, it doesn't seem like New England will open up. Maybe there's an opportunity in Tennessee where the Titans just fired their offensive coordinator. I know Tampa Bay has been another one, but you know, O'Brien, I think, kind of has to sort through his NFL opportunities, and if nothing comes together there, would Nick Saban have him back in Alabama? I wouldn't completely rule it out. I just think the odds are probably leaning away from that happening, you know, compared to Pete, where I think the odds are leaning towards him coming back. As always, Mike, you do a terrific job, and appreciate you joining us here on Big Noon Sports, and we'll do it again here in the next couple of weeks, I'm certain. Sounds good, guys. Thank you. Yeah, really good information. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, he's got his finger on the pulse of Alabama athletics. So, um, please make sure you read him uh, on AL.com. Um, this is Big Noon Sports. Uh, other topics. Are you guys uh, – sometimes I, I hesitate to jump into this arena because I'm not real fans of, of what I call shock jock radio. Do you know who Mad Dog is? New York radio. I, of course. I, listen, I used to listen to Mike and the Mad Dog every single day. Every single day. Yes. You fond of him? I like Chris Russo. Well, he I, is... I, I uh, don't know him personally. Uh, and and I, I think I can do without Francesa and his arrogance. You remember when he was on CBS TV for a while? Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't a really good fit, was but, it? But uh, I, I like Chris Russo a lot. Uh, I, I want to see if you like him when I share a story with you on the other side of this break. Okay. You're, you're listening to Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Want to know what's going on with the Crimson Tide? Download the Tide 100.9 app today. Score! 
And now a message from Puffs Plus Lotion Tissues. Ordinary tissues can leave you with a red nose. So choose Puffs Plus Lotion for all of your blows. Puff County with the low at 59. Tomorrow an active weather day, cloudy and windy at times. Showers and strong storms arriving during the day, the high 69. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 66 degrees in Tuscaloosa. You got Kristen Miller, Lawrence Anderson, Matt Coulter, Joe, Josh, Aiden. Appreciate all of those that contributed to the show called Big Noon Sports. 38 days after Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson sprained his PCL, he missed another practice today. And it looks as if he's on track to miss his sixth straight game against the Bengals in the wild card round of the playoffs. Also should be noted, second-string quarterback Tyler Huntley was on the field, but again not throwing because of his sore shoulder. So it is possible that the Ravens are going to be down to their third-string quarterback once again, who played last week, and he he played like a third-string quarterback. So that's not good news for the Ravens. Wow, tell you what. This is a really – if we can just dive into this just for a second – This is a complicated situation, Christian, and I'd love to get your expertise. The fact that Lamar Jackson, I I don't know if he has any incentive to play because, uh, one, he could sustain another injury or or deepen the uh, PCL injury that he already has. And and the fact that the Ravens didn't get him locked up into the long-term contract and that Lamar and his family are basically acting as their own agents. Um, it, it, it's a complicated situation. I'm, I'm not saying that Lamar Jackson is faking injury at all, but um, just w- what is your assessment of uh, this entire situation with Lamar Jackson? I think it's BS that they won't pay the guy, and it's um, – look, why would he go out there and risk his – health, his longevity for a program that, uh, or a club that, that, you know, just will not honor his contributions. Um, you know, this guy, we're talking about a guy who's one league MVP, you know, he, he is, um, the nucleus of that team and he's, he's a remarkable player and, uh, there's, there's not, uh, any other Lamar Jackson's out there. And, um, look, he went out there this year and even bet on himself. He's playing, uh, he didn't sit out. He went out there and played for his team. Um, even without them giving him that contract. And the fact that they just offered Roquan Smith uh, that lucrative deal, that $20 million yeah. a year um, before 100 him. Mil. $100 million deal, $20 yep. million per year, uh, biggest contract for a, or highest paid off-ball linebacker contract ever, uh, to me would be uh, uh, nothing short of a slap to the face um, if I'm Lamar Jackson. Um, so if I'm him and I'm not 100%, I'm not playing. Uh, I refuse to play. Um, because number one, again, he's hurt. I'm not saying if he, now if he was healthy, I, I'm not recommending that. But the fact that you know, he's dealing with a PCL injury now, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar, but a PCL injury, um, it's one of those things where it can really linger. Um, it, even if he did play, he's not going to be uh, as shifty and, and um, the type of Lamar Jackson that we're used to seeing. Um, and again, he's risking further injuring his knee because you know other uh, parts 
of his legs are going to be overcompensating for an injured PCL, um, which put those um, ligaments and tendons and, and, and whatnot at risk. So if I'm him, I'm, I'm not playing, and, and I would just feel a little disrespected um, after they just offered uh, Roquan Smith, who, again, they just traded for this year. The guy played with them for half the season, and they just made him the highest-paid off-the-ball linebacker, but they refused to pay Lamar Jackson, who was a draft pick by them, You know, put his time in, um, been more than productive, and is and is a great team guy. I mean, all his teammates love him. And, um, you know, he's never been selfish. He's always been very selfless. And uh, I think it's kind of disappointing. Um, so if I was him, I, I would not play if I'm not ready to play. If, if, uh, if he had a secure contract right now, would, would he play? I'm, I'm, I'm a little confused if you, with, with you guys. I don't, I, well, are, you, are, are y'all this, this, even this, suggesting this, that he's not going to play because he he's he no, doesn't have a good contract? No. Well, yes and no. Here's the thing, Matt. The guy's dealing with a PCL injury, so he's not healthy. Now, granted, no one in the NFL, especially week 18 in playoff uh, time, is going to be healthy. Like, guys are banged up. Like, that's part of the game, right? Um, however, PCL, again, is, is not the easiest injury to play on, especially if you're a, a mobile-type quarterback, right? You know, could he sit back in the pocket and probably just try to throw the ball and not really move too much and, and, and play that type of uh, way? Sure, but then he's going to be limited um, in terms of their whole play calling because they're not going to want to run certain plays that they're used to running because um, a big part of him is his legs. And if he's only 60 or 70% in terms of his ability to play because of injury, um, what we're saying is, um, why would he rush back from injury uh, and risk getting further injured and in, in potentially hurting his career um, for an organization that has not paid him? He has no guarantees after uh, this year pretty much because they did not secure a long-term contract for him. That's what we're saying. We're not saying, oh, he, he should just sit out because they didn't pay him. It's the fact that he, he, he really shouldn't be playing because he's injured still. But we're saying if he could technically play but play injured – why would he even put himself in that position if he doesn't even have the long-term security? And also, correct me if I'm wrong, Christian, his style of play almost requires his uh, both of his knees to be fully healthy because of just how he plays the game. He's not just a, a drop-back quarterback, right, and, and slinging the ball from the pocket. You know, he's a, a shifty guy who uses his legs as much as his arms. And also, you know, I would love to play poker with uh, John Harbaugh because he cannot uh, hide his frustration when he talks about Lamar Jackson, you know, in his press conferences. You can tell they, they thought, oh, this is a three to four week injury. Well, now we're on day 38. And so it, it's gone on longer than the doctors first uh, anticipated. And you can tell that, that Harbaugh is just uh, sort of at his wit's end. And if, uh, if, if Lamar doesn't play in this game, you have to wonder, I think, uh, Christian, about his long-term future with the Ravens, don't you? Yeah, um, just because, I mean, things can start to go south um, quickly when it comes to um, just the temperature of the room when, w- between players and organizations. You see it all the time, and uh, some people don't understand it uh, per se just because they think you know some guys are being selfish. But the fact of the matter is um, injuries are inevitable in football, right? And and if guys don't have security, um, it, it's, it's unfortunate because if they are uh, to go out there and play and get hurt, 
and that team is, you know, not going to back them after that, they could, you know, miss out on, on millions of dollars and, and, and it's, it's not a, uh, a good position to be in. Um, and so that's what some of these guys do. And again, Lamar Jackson wasn't even one of those guys. He didn't even sit out a training camp or anything like that. He, he went out there and bet on himself um, saying, that's fine. Y'all don't want to give me a deal. I'll, I'll prove it to y'all this year. Um, and look what happened. He, he hurts his PCO. We're seeing how valuable he is to the team. Um, but, but this is why guys don't want to play without security because injuries do happen. And unfortunately, if you don't strike when the iron's hot, you can get hurt and miss out on that timetable to get paid. Um, so that, that's kind of what we're dealing with. And you're exactly right, Lars, in terms of um, his, his style of play requires his legs. It's not only that, but their play calls and play designs, the, the, the offense they run has a lot of quarterback design runs, a lot of RPOs, a lot of zone reads. Um, so if he's not fully capable of, of doing that, there's no um, really benefit of him really being out there, in my opinion. Um, so, uh, again, if he's not healthy to play, he doesn't need to play. But um, the cherry on top is the fact that they, they never offered this guy that kind of money, and he's going out there and, and risking his health and getting further injured, which could make him lose out on millions of dollars in the future, all because they didn't want to give him a long-term deal before the season. And when you represent yourself, doesn't it put you and the GM in a very awkward situation? Because the GM, the job of the GM is to give you uh, as little money as possible, but not lose you. And so when you do that, you have to say, well, you know, you don't do this very well. You don't do this. You have to point out the flaws in the player to in simple negotiations. Am I correct in that? Yeah, somewhat. I mean, I don't think they're necessarily saying, hey, you know, we don't want to pay you this because we, we feel like your, your throwing percentage could be a little bit higher. They're not going to necessarily do that, but they, they basically are kind of, you know, hinting around certain things that, look, if they're not giving them a long-term deal, basically what they're saying is we don't necessarily trust you completely as our as our franchise guy, you know, uh, for the long term. Now, I'm not saying they don't trust Lamar. I'm sure they do. But um, why else would they be so hesitant on giving him that long term deal? It's almost like they have like this small, um, small percentage of doubt with him almost um, that they just aren't quite ready maybe to make that happen. Or also they could just be playing their cards right financially because, you know, how it works with the first round guy. Uh, teams have the option of doing um, franchise tags where they basically pay you uh, the highest average of the uh, of what uh, the average uh, guy at your position makes um, without having to put you on a long-term deal. And they have fifth-year options and all these types of um, things that are involved in contracts. And, and that's why a lot of players uh, get upset with that kind of stuff because it basically delays them being able to get long-term contracts which offer them security, which allow them to go out there and play the way they want to play without having – um, to worry about getting hurt and losing out on a lot of money. Who's older, Lamar Jackson or Stetson Bennett? Stetson Bennett. By how much? Uh, six months. Not even a year. And he, this is his fifth year in the NFL. That's the thing that Mad Dog was so upset about. 25-year-olds should not be yeah. playing college football against 19-year-olds. Uh is this, I think he's a big I, blowhard I, now on that one. Don't you think there's some validity to that? No. I, I, I think, I'll be, I'll be honest, I think there is a, a little bit of validity only because I, I know how I was as a player when I first got in the program. At Well, I got here at 17. I turned 18 uh, in the summer. Uh, but I know the maturity um, and the growth that, that I had from that 
time and that age to by the time I left the program as a fifth year senior when I was 22 years old getting drafted. And so and then I know the growth and development that took place three years later when I was 25 years old and I had experience playing professionally. So um, I, I will say, I mean, I do think sometimes there is a little validity to someone being that much older. Um, now, does it make the biggest difference? Like, is that the reason he just won two back-to-back championships? Absolutely not. You know, there's more people than just him. However, um, I, I wouldn't argue that you definitely have an advantage being uh, 25 years old, you know, going against younger guys because, you know, quite frankly, you're going to be a lot more mature than these guys. This guy maintains that he should have hung it up after he was 24 and he won the the first championship. And then he, <laughs> sh- he should have walked away from the game. Hey, I mean, it's, so it's, it's completely he, he legal, granted. though. It's legal, though. So, I mean, you can't really argue yeah, it. But I, the I, I would year, say there, right? yeah, but there is some, you know, probably some benefit of being older and more mature. I mean, I, I, I think everybody can agree on that. But at the same time, it's fair and it's legal. So uh, you can't really argue it. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's several people. What what was the guy out on the West Coast was going to have a, like a seventh year of eligibility somewhere? Some <laughs> yeah. guy in Oregon. Well, um, there was a 29 year old punter, I think. For was it is it TCU's punter or one of the yeah, punters and in he the was game very was like bad by the way. He was really bad. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah so the, that, that those Aussies come over here. <laughs> but but that that is based not on COVID years and all that. That's just based on when they enroll. Because when you enroll, you have five to play four, or now it's six to play four, now it's seven to play four. And I think that's where some of those Aussie kickers get. But uh, I, I really had a bad feeling when Georgia stuffed him, and then he, what, he had a 32-yard punt? Yeah. Georgia just slammed him. Hey, you're listening to Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Let me guess. Unknown caller? You could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy. That winning season, Sills floats it. Johnson hits the ground hard, and Keontae Johnson is down. Back on Big Noon Sports, Lars, Matt, Kirsten. Recently, uh, Kirby Smart has come out and saying he wants to clone Stetson Bennett. Would you consider him mobile? Absolutely. I mean, he had two touchdown runs in the national championship game. Um, I wouldn't. That's just me, though. Why not? Because my definition of mobile is probably a little bit different than y'all's. Like, can he, you know, does he have the ability to, you know, to run and escape the pocket? Sure. But mobile to me is Lamar Jackson, um, you know, guys of that that caliber. I know there's not many of them, but um, that's not really it. Like, I'll be honest with you, if we were to game plan, which I did game plan against, I played against him, um, if I'm not mistaken, in 2018. I think he was there. Um well, actually, no, that was actually probably Jake Fromm. But, um, yeah, we wouldn't we wouldn't game plan it any different to, like, respect his legs or, like, come up with um, some type of package to really respect his escapability. Um, he wouldn't really, to me, in my opinion, 
wouldn't really <clears throat> wouldn't really uh, garner any type of like threat with his legs. Like I know he did that in the game, but those were quarterback design runs where they literally um, were, were just running, you know, quarterback lead uh, runs to the to the edge where they're facing a team that's running a three man front with no edge. The only guy the guy supposed to set the edge is three yards off the ball, and it's either a safety or a linebacker. And it, that and I don't even want to get started on that defense, but yeah, no. I, 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 me personally, I don't think. I mean, if you if you call him mobile, you have to call half the quarterbacks in the NFL mobile. I mean, I guess you got to call like you know Joe Burrow mobile quarterback, which I I don't necessarily you know. But he he can run with his legs. Do you do you consider him mobile? Did you uh, see the run he made this last week? Uh, I think he ended up. Uh, he's more mobile than Bennett. In ESPN my ESPN did a graphic on it. He, he ran a total of I think sixty one yards for like a nine yard gain, broke a couple tackles. But uh, but but Christian, I did want to ask you, who was the best in your estimation? Who was the best college quarterback you faced, and who was the hardest to game plan for? Um. Honestly, the hardest ones are the, are the truly mobile guys, and that's why I'm saying this. There's no disrespect to anybody like Stetson or, or Joe Burrow. Those guys can definitely make plays with their legs. It's just when I think mobile, I'm, I'm thinking Justin Fields, Lamar Jackson, guys who really – like you have to game plan for their legs. Like I hate to say this, but Stetson Bennett, like we're not game planning for his legs. It's more so just keep him in the pocket and just maintain the inter- integrity of your, of your uh, rush lanes. Um, but if I'm there, you know, Johnny Manziel is a mobile guy, you know, you have to respect his legs. Um, but to answer your question, um, uh, that's tough. Um, I, I don't even, I don't know. Again, I'm trying to think back of somebody who really just gave us problems. I mean, y'all might know better than me. I, I, I it's, it's mine's kind of probably really guys you practiced against. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was about to say, I mean, anytime we, you know, practice, yeah, that, that definitely gave us a good look. Cause I mean, I played with three or four first round quarterbacks. Um, but yeah, really just to answer your question, any, anybody that normally is, is dynamic enough to, to cause fits in terms of their passing ability and their running ability, those guys are tough um, because you have to respect their arm and their legs. And um, you have to decide if we're going to spy a guy, if we're going to um, keep one guy to just to spy the quarterback, if, if we are going to run games, how are we going to run them to, to be the most effective that we can be? Are we going to uh, trust our simulated pressures against this guy? Because we know if we set up a lane, he's going to hit that lane and he's going to scramble for 10 plus. Uh, so it really just depends uh, on the guy because each, each guy is, is, is different and, and uh, deserves his own game plan respectively. Is there a vastly different game plan during the week? Uh, and do you have specific schemes? And I think you just said yes to this question, but um, when you practice and you set up, is it a different formation? Uh, are there tips on the offense when they break the huddle? Or is the most dangerous guy one that just you never can tell what he's going to do? In, in terms of – sorry, ask that one more time. You mean uh, like Instead, for different, in, quarter, in, in for terms different quarterbacks of, or different offenses? What, yeah, for, for, for a mobile guy, do you – have specific defenses set or is it more of a if he takes it down and runs we still got to be in, in certain positions I, I guess I'm not I'm very awkwardly asking this question no, no I, I get what if you're saying I you get, were quite yeah I get what you're okay, saying Matt okay. um so to answer your question so first um your personnel is going to be changed so Anytime we face to mobile, and this is what I mean. Why, again, this is why my my definition of mobile is a little probably a little bit different than y'all's because when we face a mobile guy that who we consider mobile, 
um, we're going into the game with a different personnel. We're now playing two edge guys. What, we, what they call nickel J now is what we used to call nickel rabbits. We would have a, a rabbits package in a uh, majority of that game because we respect the, the quarterback's ability to run the football. Um, I think of guys like when we played, you know, um, uh, you know, just, I can't, I can't, maybe Nick Marshall when he was at Auburn, guys like that. Um, you just look at it, you, you, you want speed on the field. So now we're changing our personnel. We're going into a, a smaller, lighter package with more speed, right? Um, then again, like I said, we, we're, 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 we, we used to come up with calls because if we're playing a zone read team, someone's responsible for the dive, somebody's responsible for the quarterback, somebody's responsible for the pitch, even though they don't necessarily pitch the ball as much, um, you respect it the same. Typically, your defensive end is, is normally, uh, depending on the front, Either him or the inside linebacker is going to be responsible for the dive and the quarterback, respectively. But we used to even have calls where we used to come up with, say, "Hey, um, we're going to the linebacker can give you the defensive end a crash call, or we used to call it a rise technique. Different techniques to play against these guys. I mean, the defensive end is going to crash hard on the dive to force the quarterback to pull the football. That way, the linebacker is going to V line to the quarterback because he knows the defensive end has the dive responsibility." That way he can just go take the quarterback out. A rise technique is when the defensive end is coming off the ball. He fakes, he takes two or three steps towards the dive as if he's taking the dive, and then he completely changes pass to make the quarterback pull the ball, and he tackles the quarterback. And it's like a late uh, trade-off. So it's one of those things where um, when you really have to respect a guy like that, um, defenses do change dramatically. Um, and, and, and again, and you can change dramatically just on depending on what the offense is coming out. And, you know, you, when you play a team that runs um, – you know, 12 personnel like Georgia does, you're going to have to, you have to adjust and adapt. And I think that's one of the things TCU ran into. You have to, you can't run in 3-3-5 against a team that's running 12 and 21 personnel, two tight ends, big formations, and they're looking to run the ball on you. You have to adjust and adapt. You have to respect the, the offensive personnel. Um, the same thing with the, a quarterback. Um, you have to respect his, his strengths and his skill sets, his um, skill set. So those are the type of things that we typically would do when we would face uh, mobile guys we'd have all type of different calls um, granted we still stick to the integrity of the defense um, but there are definitely adjustments to be made great inside stuff I want to ask about spies we need to take a break because I'm really not sure I understand if that concept exists anymore and I also want to uh, ask you guys the uh, the NFL players uh, voted uh, the first team all pros and three Alabama team, three Al- three former Alabama players were named to the All Pro team as voted by the players, and I want to see if you guys can guess who they are. No cheating, no I'm, no, uh, no uh, getting on the Google machine. There aren't more. To be honest with the number that are in the league anyway. Hey, you're listening to Big Noon Sports, and we'll be right back. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Want to know what's going on with the Crimson Tide? Download the Tide 100.9 app today. Score! You know what happens in a plasma chamber? Big stuff. Science stuff. Diamonds. I'm Tom Osmond. Fincher and Osmond Jewelers carries all... ...with the low at 59. Tomorrow, an active weather day, cloudy and windy at times. Showers and strong storms arriving during the day, the high 69. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 67 degrees in Tuscaloosa. That winning season, Sills floats it up. Johnson hits the ground Heading up to San Francisco 
for the Labor Day weekend show. Back on Big Noon Sports, Matt, Lars, Christian. We're talking about defending mobile quarterbacks, and I wanted to ask Christian, you know, we all have the concept of a spy, which is basically designating a, a safety or someone as athletic as Christian Miller to just kind of follow the quarterback around. Is that a given defense anymore, and were you ever one? Oh, absolutely. No, Georgia just did it in the national championship game. Um, it's, it's not necessarily a defense is what it is. It's just a technique, right? So it's almost like a form of running a, a pass rush game. What you're doing is you, you designate one guy to have sole responsibility on the quarterback. And what he does is he doesn't rush. He's going to sit back and he's going to spy the quarterback. And he's basically going to float at the line of scrimmage. And he's going to keep his eyes on that quarterback and track him anywhere he goes. So typically when you see it, um, I'll give you an example. So if you watch Alabama in their uh, cheetah package, you have two edge guys, right? You got one defensive tackle, and then that third um, uh, technically down lineman is a stand-up backer, and they use Dallas Turner at that position. It was called the buck position when I played. So the buck is normally your most athletic or more athletic uh, outside linebacker, edge rusher, so you can move him around. And so we used to use our buck. I used to drop out into coverage from that position. I used to rush from that position. You normally line up. You know, you might mug the guard, move around, basically so you can switch up and, and run simulated pressures out of that, but you also run your spy games out of that. So what I would do when, we, when I would uh, spy, um, basically what I'm doing is I would um, initially, um, you know, take a step towards the guard, right, and you only do this on pretty much uh, like when it's third and long, when it's when you know it's a, a passing down. So you take your step, you kind of get that guard's attention that way. He doesn't immediately because if he knows you're not rushing, he's going to immediately turn his attention to one of the the defensive ends, and he's going to add on and make a double team. So you don't want to screw the, the the edge guy over. So you have to get his attention a little bit, but not too close where he can latch on you and you lose your responsibility. You come off, you float at the line of scrimmage, and you're basically going to track that quarterback everywhere he goes. Um, good spies can almost anticipate it. And we also have games, too, where we'll tell the edge guy, hey, you run up and under, you're going to flush this quarterback out. He's a right-armed uh, thrower, so we're going to know he's going to want to escape uh, to our left um, if we're facing him. So that means the spy might anticipate you're going to tell the edge guy go up and under, and that spy is going to anticipate him rolling out to the defensive left, and you're already ready to go to, to put into gear and go track him down and get a sack. Um, so that's pretty much what a spy is. It's really just a technique. It's not so much of like a whole defense um, because um, they can run whatever coverage in the back end and, and, and whatnot. The spy game really is taking place up front. And typically, you know, people don't realize this, but pass rush almost is always separate. You know, it, the, the coverages really don't affect us. You know, we, we uh, determine our games and, and communicate within the front itself. So um, the spy can be going on while the, the, the secondary is playing cover two or they're running the trap, whatever type of defense, split safety. That None of that matters as long as it, we're communicating up front. I know that's a whole spiel. I probably should teach a course on it <laughs> at this point, but it, <laughs> yeah, really, it's, it's good. It's good that people kind of hear this because you know they, they don't they watch this stuff and they don't necessarily understand what's going on. They might blame guys like, "Oh, why is he doing this?" But um, in football, man, there's 11 guys on the field and everybody has a role. And sometimes people don't understand, like, even at the defensive end position, um, it might look like, "Oh, why don't that guy just go get a free play right here?" But his responsibility is as soon as. Uh, his key, which is the offensive tackle, blocks down. His responsibility is to transfer his eyes inside, run and go close and kick the ball outside to to, to the free uh, inside linebacker who's playing sideline to sideline. There's so many things that go involved that are involved in football that that go unnoticed. But if you if you know the game, you, you really can pinpoint exactly what's going on. 
Okay, since we're deep in the weeds, let's let's stay deep in the weeds. <laughs> Why is it that uh, we're hearing so much more about the three three five defense? Just like anything else, people always want something new, something they don't have, and it's something that's been on the rise. And look, there are some benefits, even though I know I'm really hard on it. There are a couple benefits. One of those really is um, you you never know. It, it, It creates so much uncertainty for an offense, right? Michigan did a terrible job of of adapting to it. They didn't. It was hard for them to pick up pressures because um, you only have these three down linemen, and you don't know who's coming. It could be a safety, it could be a linebacker, it could be a middle linebacker that 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 star guy. I mean, you just don't know where the pressure's coming from, and you can excuse me, you can mix it things up so easily with it. And I think that's what what a lot of people like. There's a lot of variety to it. However, I am not a fan of it because you're you're lighting the tail up front, and we saw Georgia expose that. You don't have much of an edge. So what they do, they're running zone runs to the edge, and they're just attacking the edge. Like, And I, 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 y'all have heard me say this. I hate dropping eight guys because, again, you saw Stetson Bennett do it, and he's not even – you know, he's a great quarterback, but he's not even the most elite quarterback. And, and look at him. He was finding those windows like it was nothing. He was putting that ball right in those windows. It didn't matter. They had three guys in the zone. It didn't, it didn't do anything because they're only rushing three guys half the time, sometimes bringing a fourth guy late, but – you know, you have to you have to have a stout um, you know line of scrimmage. You got to you got to be able to to win line of scrimmage. You got to play physical. You got to get pass rush, and it's hard to do some of those things when you only have three down linemen, unless you're running a three four. Yeah, because a three four, then you have four outside. You have four linebackers. Two of them are outside linebackers who are on uh, the edges in nine techniques. Um, so then you have a little more support. So that's a little bit different. But a three three five, no, no, it's it's, it's a little light in the tail up front. Stetson Bennett, I don't think, was touched all evening long. No, he said so. He was was clean. I don't think his jersey had any any marks on it. (laughs) Oh, but he's still too old, huh? (laughs) Uh, Josh Smith looked us up. There are 16 NFL quarterbacks younger than him. Wow. It's I guess the big question now is, will he become one of them? The, the three Alabama players to make the first-team All-Pro, as voted by the players, Josh Jacobs, uh, not surprising, led the league in rushing, Patrick Sertain, the second corner out of Denver, and Mika Fitzpatrick, free safety out of Pittsburgh, all well-deserved. Joe Burrow came out yesterday and said that the best corner that he's ever faced is Patrick Sertain. That wraps it up for yet another Big Noon Sports, and we'll be back tomorrow at noon. Have a wonderful day. Straight Talk Wireless knows there are plenty of reasons you might need a new phone. But switching to a better wireless provider doesn't have to be one of them. Keep your own phone and save when you switch.